When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. Then Jesus said, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Ennis, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I have always taught in synagogues or at the temple, where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace, 
because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. 
Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything has now been finished, and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, 
he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Would you please be seated? I was raised in a church um, that was really, really low. Like you would go into my church and you'd never see candles on the holy table, not an altar, a table, and you certainly would never, ever see a crucifix hung anywhere. And when I went to uh, my undergrad, I went to a different church called St. Philip's in Moncton, and that church had a crucifix right behind the pulpit. And I found it really jarring. In fact, I had a hard time looking at the preacher when he preached. But the reason why it's there, and in many churches, is because in the scriptures it says we preach Christ and him crucified. And so we're always reminded of why we're there. But when I look at a crucifix, I flinch. When I consider the thorns... When I look at the agony on Jesus' face, when I regard the the nails in his hands and his feet, I don't like to look at it. And I used to hear things all the time from people who are like me, um, who didn't like crucifixes. They'd say, why did they do that? Why would they make that? Jesus isn't on a cross. He's alive and he's reigning. That's good and true because we have hope because Jesus is alive. But as I walk through this world and I see the brokenness around me and I see my loved ones in pain and I see my church struggling, I am so thankful for the reminder that the crucifix gives us. And that reminder is that We don't just serve a God who knows us or sees us. We serve a God who understands our pain and shares in it. So that when we are feeling discouraged or when we are feeling lost or when we just hurt, we can remember Jesus hurt too. And he understands. Uh, Back in 2016, a movie came out called Silence. I don't know if you've ever seen that. But it's based off of a book that a a Roman Catholic uh, Japanese man wrote back in the 60s. And I'm going to mispronounce his name, but the author's name is Shuzaku Endo. 
And this book is set in the 1600s, and it follows the journey of two Roman Catholic priests, two Jesuits, as they travel to Japan. And they're going there to see how the church is doing. The church at the time was forced underground. They were facing horrible persecution. And if you see the movie, it is really hard to watch. But they were going for another purpose. Because their mentor was reported to have denied his faith. To, he, he turned his back on the priesthood and married someone. And so they were going to inspect this to see, is this true? And spoiler alert, it was true. <clears throat> and one of the priests that, that was searching for his mentor, um, his name is Father Rodriguez, he was arrested. And his former mentor was given the task of dismantling his faith, which he worked really hard at doing. And at some point, Father Rodriguez denies his faith. But then they had one more test to make sure that he actually did it. And he was taken out into a courtyard, and there were 10 or 12 Japanese Christians being tortured to death. And Father Rodriguez was commanded to step on an image of Jesus and so desecrate it. And if he did, then all of the brothers and sisters would go free. He could save them. He just needed to step on the image of Jesus. What would you do? As Father Rodriguez looked at the image of Jesus, he heard the voice of Christ say to him, Come ahead now. It's all right. Step on me. I understand your pain. I was born into this world to share men's pain. I carried the cross for your pain. And your life is with me now. So step. So Father Rodriguez stepped forward and he stepped on the image of Jesus and collapsed and wept. Now, if you're not paying close attention, you'll keep watching the movie and you'll think, wow, this guy, he really gave up on his faith. But if you pay attention, you'll notice that the spark of faith never goes away. And then at the end of the movie, if you reflect on this scene, you'll see something profoundly important. This was the most Christ-like moment that Father Rodriguez had. He gave up everything in order to save others. And the amazing thing is he didn't bear the disgrace Jesus did. And when we think upon the cross, we see the image of God being desecrated. For us. In Jesus, he did what was necessary in order for us to live with him.
When I look at a crucifix, I flinch. I don't like it. I don't like being reminded that it was his love for me that held him to that cross. But I need that reminder. And the powerful thing is, when we look at the brokenness that we see all around us, we not only flinch at the cross, we embrace it and cling to it. Because we need to remember that Jesus is enough. That he understands our pain. And that he has provided a way through the pain. We are uh, coming to the end of a very, very difficult year. And we have been told by the media and doctors and all kinds of people that we are going to have a tsunami of mental health issues in the months ahead and the years ahead. How are we to respond to this? I want to invite us all to cling to the cross and to keep the focus of Jesus' suffering in our mind's eye as we look upon those who are going to be struggling with mental health issues, for those who are so stressed out about losing jobs, about those who are struggling with addictions, for those who are just plain lonely. I want us to cling to the cross, to remember that we are not alone in this, Last night we, we, we looked at the Last Supper and how Jesus washed his disciples' feet and then he fed them with the Lord's Supper. And there is something to the Lord's Supper where Jesus fills us in a particular way. Cling to the cross, serve in his name, and be filled, nourished, and sustained by him. And so let us be a blessing to those around us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the cross. Thank you for your love that held you there. And we pray, Lord, that you would so fill your church that we might be agents of healing and blessing and reconciliation and restoration in this world. Use us, Lord, to bring your light for we ask this for your sake, Jesus. Amen. Part of the Good uh, Friday uh, liturgy is to enter into solemn intercession for the world. And if you want to stand during this time, you are welcome to. Um, if you want to sit, you're welcome to do that too. You can be comfortable during this time to make your intercessions to God. So let's take a moment to be still as we prepare ourselves. So dear people of God, our Heavenly Father sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved that all who believe in him might be delivered from the power of sin and death and become heirs with him of eternal life. 
Let us pray for the one holy, Catholic, and apostolic Church of Christ throughout the world. And this time, Lord, we do pray for those of our brothers and sisters who are facing and enduring persecution. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are discouraged. For where there is want. Revitalize your church. Bless their witness. Let us know your unity in witness and service. We pray for all bishops. We think of Justin Welby, for our primate Linda and Mark. We pray for all clergy, for all preachers and pastors and lay ministers. And for the people whom they serve, we lift David, our bishop, up to you and our metropolitan. And Lord, we do pray that you would bless him and protect him, that you would encourage and direct him. Lord, we pray for all the people of this diocese, for all followers of Jesus in this community, for those who are about to be baptized. Lord, grow your church. And that the Lord will confirm his church in faith, increase it in love, and preserve it in peace. We pray together. Almighty and everlasting God, by your Spirit, the whole body of your faithful people is governed and sanctified. Receive our supplications and prayers, which we offer before you, for all members of your holy church, that in our vocation and ministry we may truly and devoutly serve you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray for all nations and peoples of the earth. We pray for those in authority among them. We pray for Elizabeth, our Queen, and the royal family. We pray for Justin, our Prime Minister, and for the government of this country. We pray for Blaine, our Premier of New Brunswick, and for the members of the legislature. We pray for Mike, the Mayor of Fredericton, and those who serve with him on the city council. For all who serve the common good, that by God's help they may seek justice and truth and live in peace and concord. We pray together. Almighty God, kindle, we pray, in every heart the true love of peace, and guide with your wisdom those who take counsel for the nations of the earth, that justice and peace may increase until the earth is filled with the knowledge of your love through Jesus Christ our Lord.
Amen. Let us pray for all who suffer and are afflicted in body or mind, for the hungry and the homeless, the destitute and the oppressed, for those who suffer persecution or prejudice, for the sick, the wounded, the handicapped, for those in loneliness, fear, and anguish, for those who face temptation, doubt, and despair, for the sorrowful and the bereaved. Just pause to lift up to God those who are on your hearts and minds, either silently or aloud. This time we do pray for Joe and Linda, Jack and Fran, Sandy and Jackie, Mary and Paul, Betsy and Jim, Sarah, Donna, Arthur, David, Jackie, Sheila, Helen, Llewellyn, Grace, Nancy, John and Susan, Margaret, Sarah, and Dawn. Lord, you know the needs of your servants better than they do. We pray your healing hand upon them for peace for those who love them. Lord, we also lift up to you uh, prisoners and captives and those in mortal danger that you in your mercy will comfort and relieve them and grant them the knowledge of your love and stir up in us the will and patience to minister to their needs. We pray together. Gracious God, the comfort of all who sorrow, the strength of all who suffer, Hear the cry of those in misery and need. In their afflictions, show them your mercy. And give us, we pray, the strength to serve them for the sake of him who suffered for us, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for all who have not received the gospel of Christ, for all who have not heard the words of salvation, for all who have lost their faith. For all whose sin has made them indifferent to Christ. For all who actively oppose Christ by word or deed. For all who are enemies of the cross of Christ and persecutors of his disciples. For all who in the name of Christ have persecuted others, that God will open their hearts to the truth and lead them to faith and obedience. We pray together. Merciful God, creator of the peoples of the earth 
and lover of souls. Have compassion on all who do not know you as you are revealed in your Son, Jesus Christ. Let your gospel be preached with grace and power to those who have not heard it. Turn the hearts of those who resist it and bring home to your fold those who have gone astray, that there may be one flock under one shepherd, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us commit ourselves to God and pray for the grace of a holy life, that with all who have departed this life and have died in the peace of Christ, and those whose faith is known to God alone, we may be accounted worthy to enter into the fullness of the joy of our Lord and receive the crown of life in the day of resurrection. Together we pray. O God of unchangeable power and eternal light, look favorably on your whole church, that wonderful and sacred mystery, by the effectual working of your providence, carry out in tranquility the plan of salvation. Let the whole world see and know that things which were cast down are being raised up, and things which had grown old are being made new, and that all things are being brought to their perfection by him through whom all things were made, your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.